0: have your Bibles, you want to turn with me to Isaiah 55. Uh, Today it will be helpful to be looking at the Bible or the bulletins. The bulletin is used to be a tool to help you engage, so that'll be helpful as we track along. And uh, as we move there, Cody, pull up first this image. Now on the path that is connecting the colleges of Cambridge to the town of Cambridge is this giant lampstand. And on the lampstand, there's this inscription. Thank <laughs> you. Reality checkpoint. Now, I'm not sure if you're familiar with how like Oxford and Cambridge work. So, imagine like all of the Ivy League schools—Harvard, Princeton, Yale—and imagine they were all in the same location. And then all of the alumni from those schools like uh, competed to make their school, you know, more more nice, more posh. So, like Cambridge, yeah, the the colleges—it's this amazingly beautiful place that's just filled with gardens and leather furniture and lattes and walls just uh, lined with books. And it sounds like heaven to me. (laughs) And then on the path down where you're leaving the colleges into the town, there's reality check. And you all know what that's saying. It's saying the world you have been living in, the world of high, uh, the, the high academy, this is not the real world. Down here in the real world, it's filled with work and dirt and grease and grime. That's not the real world. And, you know, we think about that. You think about it like when you go on vacation and it's time to get back to work, you often say, well, it's back to reality or it's back to the grind. And I wonder... I wonder if we actually have it, have it backwards. Which one is reality? Which one of those two is the real world? And we know life's hard, life's broken, but is that how life just is? Or is that just how life is right now? Which one's the, the truest, the deepest reality? And what Isaiah 55 is for us is it is a signpost that says reality checkpoint. This is what reality actually is. And it offers this surprising picture because one of the challenges we have, we live in a snarky, cynical age where you can make a lot of money if you can really make fun of people well and deliver just one line zingers I mean, you can become a star. And we love to be able to critique and ridicule and see through and sneer. And we think like reality, the, what, what is real is what people are trying to pretend isn't true. And I just wonder, you know, what if the real reality check is, you know, what if generosity is actually reality and greed is the imposter? Or what if love is the reality and lust is the imposter? Or what if self-sacrifice is the reality and selfishness is the imposter? I mean, what is reality? So let's look at Isaiah 55 and we're going to think, what is reality? And uh, our series that we're going to be in all year is we're looking to experience the transforming power of the gospel. We want to have an encounter with the living Christ and we're going to move through certain phases and there'll be four phases we move through. But the first one, if you're going to experience the transforming power of the gospel, you have to know that you have been created and called. You've been created in love and called for a purpose. So we're going to spend a few weeks thinking about what does it mean that we've been created and called. And last week we saw a picture of, of a blind Bartimaeus being called to Jesus and Jesus addressing him at his deepest heart's desire. And this week, we're going to continue that thing, what it means that we're being called and God the Father calling his people to himself, calling them. So if it's going to transform us, first, we need clarity of mind about what the picture is painting, and then we need to let it capture our heart. So let's look first, let's try and get just clear in our minds about what Isaiah 55 is about. Now, I come to this with a certain amount of trepidation because Isaiah you know just kind of diving in Isaiah 40 through 55 is like not even counting like what we believe that it's been inspired by the holy spirit and transformative in and of itself if you just take the realm of world literature Isaiah 40 through 55 is in the top 5 pieces of world literature ever written it is one of the most majestic pieces of poetry that's ever been written it's one of the, the, the central pieces of understanding the New Testament. It's quoted more than any other thing except the Psalms. It gives the architectonic structure for the Gospel of Mark and probably the other Gospels too. It is just so deep and dense and rich. And even on Isaiah 55, Charles Spurgeon preached 20 sermons and left about half of it out on this passage. So "Guy, how can we get our mind around this? So, to kind of understand where it is, got to understand the flow, the context. Uh, So, first context Isaiah 38, 39, it's setting up just the basic historical setting. Then Isaiah 40 moves into these great promises comfort ye my people, comfort. Uh, These incredible promises. 40 through 42 sets up the promises of both comfort and hope. 42 through 44 starts to establish that our great need is redemption. We need redemption, and that means we need release, we need to be free, and we need to be forgiven. So we we need forgiveness and freedom. 44 moves into the agents of this redemption. There's going to be an earthly one, his name is Cyrus, and there's going to be this other mysterious figure who's the suffering servant, who's going to come and somehow he has to purchase for us both forgiveness and freedom. And then it culminates in one of the most kind of glorious chapters in the whole Bible, Isaiah 53, where it says haunting chapter of the suffering servant who's going to come and he's going to be wounded and bruised and broken for our sins. And then there's this turn where he he rises victorious. And then 54 is this incredible call to the Jewish people, the people who are God's bride and the marriage had been broken. He's saying, you can come back. And then in 55, he opens up the floodgates and it's a summons to the entire world. World come and enter in and take part in this victory that the suffering servant has purchased. So what it is, is this incredible call to take part, to join in and experience this salvation that the suffering servant has purchased. So let's look at the outline of 53. You can kind of see the movement here. The first one is the call to come into the celebration. Could you pull up the next slide? So we start with kind of a call into celebration, and then there's this motivation. The word is sweet and stable. The very heart of it is a call to repentance. This is how you experience the fruit and the victory that's purchased. And then more motivation about the word being transcendent and transformative, and then a call to go out into new creation. So let's think about that first thing there, the call to come into the celebration. There's this three, this call. So here we'll, uh, actually let me read the whole thing and then we'll cycle back. Come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in the rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know. And a nation that did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Here, we'll stop there for now. <clears throat> but notice in that first verse, this call to come. Now in the ESV, there's four, come is four times, come, come, come. Actually in the Hebrew, it's only three. They don't, translate. don't really know what to do with that first word. Uh, the first word is just a, it's like a ho, it's literally ho. It would be like, like the most, uh accurate English translation would be yo yo listen now yo doesn't really kind of I mean this is some of the the highest level poetry that's ever been written on earth and so most you know trans don't think yo kind of fits but that's that's the the image listen hello uh the answer is come but there's only a threefold call to come. Come to the waters, come by and eat, come buy wine and milk. So each one of those calls to come tell you something about the celebration and salvation he's bringing. Come to the waters. You know, no water, no life. In the Mediterranean world, in any world, but especially in the desert, you die really fast without water. It is the most vital and essential thing you have, water. And all throughout Isaiah, water is an image of the spirit that comes down bringing God's promises. So, I'll pour out my spirit on the thirsty land, on streams of dry ground. When I pour out my spirit on your offspring, I will pour out my spirit from on high, and the wilderness will become a fruitful field. So, the water is the spirit inspired promises that God is giving to his people. And then, notice he says, Come, buy, and eat. But the problem you ain't got no money. You have no money. But you're then called to come and buy and eat. You don't have money. You don't have the resources, but you can still buy. So it sets up this mystery. If we don't have any money, how can we still buy it? Now, it's going to be freely offered, but it still has to be purchased. That's actually reality. You know, the number one rule of economics, there is no such thing as a free lunch. Everything that is given, somebody has to pay. Even in current discussions about like loan forgiveness, forgiveness might not be the right word because somebody's paid. It's only a question of who. And this is somebody has purchased this celebration. The question is who purchased it and where? who gets to receive it. Come and buy. And then notice, come buy wine and milk. Wine and milk. That's a picture of both life's necessities, milk, and then life's luxuries, Wine, milk, and then come. So this opening illustration, come, come in, join this celebration. You're invited to enter. I've only been in my life to one Jewish wedding, and I wasn't invited to that one. But we played basketball in college, and we had a weekend game at the College of Charleston, and uh, it was on a Saturday. And then, to kind of make a an event of it, our team, you know, we stayed the night, and we're going to drive back on Sunday morning. So after the game, uh, our coach, uh, in a a rare flash of either insanity or generosity, said, "You know, curfew will be this time. You can just spend the rest of the night going out and go out on the town." Now we didn't bring any clothes to go out on the town and this was before the pajamafication of America where like people just wear sweatpants out and that's like acceptable. And uh, so all we had were bright red basketball jumpsuits and I'm one of the shortest guys so we're, we're not inconspicuous and we just start walking about 11 o'clock at night through down to, you know, through Charleston, South Carolina in our attire. And we noticed, and, you know, this is like college kids, like moss to a flame. There was like a whole city block that had just been taped off. And, I mean, you hear the music from blocks away. And so we just gravitate. And one of my roommates, the movie Wedding Crashers, had just come out. And one of my roommates was trying to embody that uh, ethos. And, like, we go up. And it's, like, roped off. And they're security guards. And they're bouncers. And they're not letting knuckleheads crash this party. And so we go up. And he starts to try and, like haggle with the bouncer to, to let us in, and he's just not having it. And then out of nowhere, we hear this voice, and a man starts going, team, team, it's a team. And then like, and he comes running, he kind of comes through, and he's about five, three. Uh, I don't know what time the open bar opened, but he was there at the beginning. <laughs> shirt tail hanging out and he kind of gives a bear hug to me he's like team I didn't think you were gonna come come on in and you kind of look at the bouncer like "Uh, what and so we and he's like oh there's the open bar help yourself here's the food platter you know there's Brittany make sure you say hello to her and we're just like wonderful I mean that was my introduction to South Carolina shrimp and grits and I've never been the same come now like Somebody had to pay for that. A lot. But it wasn't us. Summoned to the celebration. Now, what's the motivation to come? Look at the next couple verses because he wants to motivate them. See, the problem in verse 2 is you don't have any money. And in verse 2, the reason why you don't is because you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which doesn't satisfy. Why do, why do you spend? Spend it on the wrong thing. Work for the thing that doesn't satisfy. Now, l- listen to what does it mean to come. What it means to come to him means to listen. The threefold call to come is matched by a threefold call to listen. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Come and feast. Eat. Incline your ear to me. Hear so that my soul may live. Listen diligently to me. Eat what is good. Delight yourself. That's what it means to listen. It means you eat, you eat the word, you internalize it. You don't just hear it, it you digest it, internalize it, internalize it, and it's, it's good. You delight in it. That's how you know you've encountered it in its, its reality. It's been internalized and brought delight. You have to incline your ear, turn your ear, come to me, attention, focus, it's not passive. But notice all throughout this little section, the key words is to me, to me. The whole point of this celebration is not the open bar, the shrimp and grits. It's come to me, my person, come into my presence. That's the point. Here so that your soul may live. What a promise. Don't you want your soul to live? Here so that you can have internal health, a soul that's not dead, that's alive, that's not numb, that's not conflicted, that's not fractured. Come, and then the twofold promise the word is secure and stable. I made a covenant with David, a covenant. There's going to be a new leader who's going to take on my covenant promises. This is a covenantal commitment. It's you're entering into a covenant, and there's a covenantal community that's going to be marked by people from all over the globe coming. Peoples that you don't know all over the world are coming. If you would have told Isaiah when he was first writing this that there would be people in this realm that would sit in an elementary school under electronic lights and audio amplification and still be talking about his words, he would have not had any idea what you were talking about. It would utterly blow his mind. And yet, all across the globe, we're coming, people coming, this covenant community. So that's first the call, the motivation. Now let's look at the heart, the, the call to repentance. How do we get in? Six, seven, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. See, all throughout Isaiah and the Old Testament, the ultimate question is how can a holy God maintain both his justice and his love? What can be done? And notice this is a threefold call to this is how you enter into the party. The way you get in is not because of some mistaken identity where you get confused for somebody else. The way you get in is through repentance. You seek, seek. Now, when you're seeking the Lord, that doesn't mean you're looking for something that has been lost. That means you form a commitment to pursue something you don't have. So it's kind of like if you say, all right, you need to seek your health. I mean, you know, they're saying, all right, I got to find my health. Fight! Like, hold on. I think I might have left in the car. Maybe it's in the sock drawer. Well, no, when you're seeking your health, you're pursuing the, the disciplines, the habits, the things that are going to make you healthy. So what it means to seek the Lord. Call on him, acknowledge him in worship, appeal to him in prayer. Today is the day of salvation. There's a window of opportunity and it won't be open forever. Call when he may be found. Forsake, you have to turn. Let the wicked forsake his way let the unrighteous uh, forsake his thoughts. There's a turning your ways and your thoughts. Thoughts are how we think, it's the ideology of the world, ways are how we live. Those are the things that have to be turned from, transformed and then return. This is how you come, you receive mercy, forgiveness, compassion, repentance is the ticket in where you turn and then notice the motivation, this twofold motivation that he gives for coming. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So the motivation is that the word is both transcendent and it's transformative. And transformative. You know, the reason we have to turn from our thoughts and our ways is because our thoughts and our ways are not his thoughts and his ways. His thoughts and his ways are higher than ours. And so that's why we need the word. And then that word comes like rain coming to the earth to bring about transformation. You know, in this world, rain is central to life. No rain, no life. And there is no way in Israel at this time for natural irrigation. If it doesn't rain, you don't live. And rain is the thing that brings life and the way it works, it comes down and the seed has to be dead and buried in the ground so it can rise up as something new and fruitful. The rain or the word, just like the rain, transforms what it touches. It's the word that's supernatural in its origin and then infective in its mission to bring about his desires. So this call to repentance is fueled by the motivation and the motivation is the power of the word. It's transcendent, it's transformative. And then it concludes with this call to go out into new creation. For you, in verse 12, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So let's Uh, Pull up the next one, the third, to go out into new creation. You will go forth into the world that has been transformed, into the world that's beginning to shake off the curse that's on it and begin to move towards what it actually is, move towards reality. That word, you shall go out, is the same word for mission. You will be sent. You will have a mission, and this mission will be marked by new emotion. Notice the mission will come. New emotion is now joy. No longer suffering, no longer sorrow. Now you will go out in joy. And then notice you'll have new relations. You will be led forth in peace. Your relations will now be marked by peace. And then you will have a new task. Your task is to follow. You will be led. That's what it means to be, we're followers. We follow. And then we enter into and experience a whole new world. That's experiencing salvation, transformation. Notice the whole world is going to join. The mountains and the hills will break into singing and the trees and the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And this is the image of the curse. The thorns, the briars that have been cursed and the earth has been cursed with now will be shaken off and they'll be broken. And what will come is the image of the cypress. That's the image of an evergreen tree, a tree that's always green. And then the myrtle, a tree that's beautiful. It'll be uh, evergreen and it'll be beautiful. All creation will shake off the curse and all creation will join into a song. So you think this is a vision of saying this is what reality is. Reality is not the thorns and the thistles. Reality is the cypress and the myrtle. This is reality. And it's such a beautiful picture. And in one sense, all we can do is just begin to get glimpses of it in our mind. So can you see it? Do you want it? And how can you experience it? How can it capture your heart? Quickly, let's just cycle back. Cody, go back to the outline. And just cycle back and think, all right, how can we experience these things? How can we come and be called into the celebration? You know, that threefold call come to the waters, come and buy and eat, come and buy wine and milk. How can we freely enter into this feast? We who have no money, a feast that was incredibly expensive. You know, we only can live in Isaiah 55 because Jesus experienced. Isaiah 53. I mean, Isaiah 53 is what purchases us the reality of Isaiah 55. This passage is a BC signpost pointing forward to what reality is coming. And we have the AD reality to be able to look back and see how it's begun. And so why can we come? The work of the servant purchases us our invitation. So we can enter in because on the cross he was cast out. We can drink freely from the waters of life because on the cross, he experienced the ultimate thirst of wrath and death. He who was made, who was rich, made himself poor. So all of us who are poor can be made rich by entering into his feast. So we come, he calls you and says, team, come, come. I didn't think you were going to make it. And what do you come and you bring? You don't bring your gifts and offerings, you bring your thirst. Come thirsty. Every soul in this room is thirsty for something. Come with your thirst. What are you thirsty for? you thirsty for meaning, thirsty for peace, thirsty for love or respect or to be known, or intimacy, or significance, or rest, or hope. What are you thirsty for? Come with your thirst and drink. Come and buy, even if you have no resources. I mean, why? We know the labor. There's certain labor that just doesn't satisfy. But here we can find life. Come. If you want to experience this, you also have to open yourself up to the power of the word. You know, the reality is that the problem is that our thoughts are too low. They're too low. They're too weak. We're too small, too selfish, too weak. You know, Martin Luther, one of his great critiques of the the church of his day was that your thoughts of God are too human. Your thoughts are too low. Ambition's too small. We need to, to bring them up. But in what ways are your thoughts too low? Too human. You know, this is a key question. His thoughts are here. Ours are down here. How can the gap be bridged? You know, the gap can be bridged from the gift of his word and son, which come down, and then the gift of uh, us who we try to come up. It's one of the things we want to, gonna, we're going to shift the focus like on our men's Bible study. Originally, it was a men's theology class. And we're going to shift it back to a theological influence because what theology is, is trying to think God's thoughts after him. You're trying to bring your mind up as he has sent his word down, thinking his thoughts after him. If you're going to experience the power of the gospel, one of the primary ways it changes you in your mind, you transform how you think and then the word gets poured out and it's what then produces all of the fruits of the spirit in our life. So if you want more joy in your life, you have to get more word in your life. If you want more peace in your life, you have to get more word in your life. That's what produces the fruit. So open yourself up to the power of the word. Open yourself up to the power of repentance. Isn't it amazing in this passage that it's repentance that is is almost like the, the the ticket in, the way you fuse the gap? You know, It's one of the reasons every week we have uh, confession as part of our worship. And you know, for that one moment, that can be the healthiest thing you do all week. More he- healthier than your trips to the gym, healthier than your carrot, apple, ginger, beet, juice. The healthiest thing you do all week. No more blame shifting. No more finger pointing. Just confession repentance the core question that the exile raised was is it possible for a people who've been driven from God's presence can they ever be brought back can God ever find a way to pardon their rebellion and not make a mockery of his justice and then it's the suffering servant who makes that way you know he was despised and rejected he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows and we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him the chastisement that brought us peace and with his wounds we are healed. This is the pathway back in. It's through repentance. And then once we experience that, we get launched out into the new world. We're meant to be small signposts to reality, to the reality that's coming. Part of our task in the world is every day to try and plant little seeds of the first fruits of new creation. And in every life, every sphere, every job, every industry, every industry. Uh, on the planet is somehow has some element of creational goodness in it and is part of our job to help shake off all the ways it's been cursed and broken so it's it's true intention can flower and bloom you think about every sphere business finance agriculture engineering civic life family life education all of them and that's part of our responsibility to bring new creation reality into them This week, I was listening to a fascinating interview with a lady who was kind of in the world of high finance, and she was talking about how she tries to bring um, her Christian worldview into the reality of kind of high-level banking, and she says, you know, if you think about it, banking is just the redistributing of um, resources from those who have much to those who have a need. She says, that's what God does. That's part of God's character. And so we have developed, you know, she was joking, can you imagine like if we still had to like, if you need erasers for your kid's school and you had to go barter your goat's milk for it, you know, banking serves a tremendous purpose. We have organized a way to distribute resources and, but it's broken. It's filled with greed and our job is to help liberate it so flourishing can come. Here's somebody who's really wrestling. What does it mean to bring new creation into this sphere? And every sphere that we're in has that reality, enter into reality. And then the last thing that this teaches us is that hope. This is a sign pointing to hope. What it means is if you're a Christian, your best days are always in front of you. No matter what you've experienced, your best days are always coming. Reality isn't back there, it's up there. It's coming. This is reality. Generosity is reality. Love is reality. Self-sacrifice is reality. Humble, transformative faith is reality. And the way we enter in is through repentance. We come thirsty and we experience the reality of this new covenant family. It's one of the reasons every week we take the Lord's Supper because this is the sign and the seal of the new covenant reality that Isaiah is pointing us towards. And each week, this is a little bitty Signpost that's pointing you every week to reality, and the reality that it points us towards is that this this little wafer, little bitty white, what's the word for non-tasting? I don't know, tasteless. Like, tasteless. That's it. Thank you. Tasteless. This tasteless wafer is pointing you forward to the reality that His body was broken so that one day all of ours can be made new and whole this is where we're headed in the cup the cup represents the wine he drank the bitter wine of wrath so we can be ushered into a feast and drink the glorious wine of celebration and this is a foretaste of that what's coming Lord, we praise you for your mercy. We praise you for the call for us to come. And I pray for everyone here that we would respond appropriately and that we would come. So we come to you bringing thirsty souls. We all are thirsty and needy. And we come and we ask you to fill us with what is good. We come knowing that our thoughts are too low. They're not high enough. And we ask you that you would transform our minds so that we can think your thoughts after you. And we come wanting, desiring to be a part of bringing transformation to this world, to making it experience what it was originally intended to be. So I pray for everyone this week as they go out into that world, help us in hundreds of small little ways to plant seeds of grace and mercy that will one day bring full fruit into the world. This we ask in Christ's holy name. Amen.